Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. to do that, do I? <laughs> I like to lean into life, you know. Um, I, uh, I have a home group called Posse on Broadway. I got a, yeah, I got a sponsor who has a sponsor who's at least as crazy as I am. Um, I'm fortunate to belong to a sponsorship uh, family where I've known the three people above me or whatever you want to call it, uh, for like 20 to 30 years each, you know? And so when my naturally evasive nature kicks in, they know if I'm a little to the left or a little to the right. And, uh, that's good because I'm full of that stuff we call doo-doo sometimes. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I love, I, I love looking at a group of people of AAs in a convention. You're so, you're nice, you're smiling, you know, and it's like just under the surface, man. <laughs> you know, like, hey, thank God we're here. Um, I, uh, <laughs> my life started out weird, right? Um, I was, I was raised, I'm a mixed, I'm mixed, racially mixed, mixed in other ways maybe, but racially mixed, raised in a black home, uh, with a Mexican name at the time. Uh, that's a story we don't have time to tell. And, and, uh, and, and in a home that believed in an American made religion. So I was all messed up and there was all kinds of great reasons to drink. And I really, it got in the way of my recovery to focus on those reasons. You know, there was some abuse and there was some trauma and there was like, and I'm an artist and so I'm weird and like, you know, and all this, like all this distraction, from the fact that I drink because I like the effect produced by alcohol. I drink in response to the phenomenon of craving when it hits my lips, like Frank the Tank in that one movie, you know. Uh, it's, it's, that's as, I'm fine until it does that. And the problem is, is it's gonna do that. Because I can wake up with a firm resolution not to drink and it's strange, it's mental, and it's blank, and I'm drinking, you know, and that's, and that's, and that's what happens to me. So when I finally got sober about 10 years after I drank a quart and half of vodka in a park at work in the morning, I, uh, <laughs> I puked blood, I burnt the lining on my stomach, and I couldn't wait to do it again. That's the short story. 10 years later, and about a thousand AA meetings later, uh, I finally got sober. And, uh, I, uh, getting sober was not an easy thing for me. I've drank, uh, I've, I've gone to 90 meetings in 90 days and drank 90 times, you know, um, because of all these distractions, I think I'm drinking because of this. And if I just do that, and if I, you know, the plans and the schemes and the ways that we try to work around the inevitability. And I, and I sensed from a very early age that my drinking was unsustainable. I mean, when you start off with that, that, kind of drink that I just talked about, like, like you can't just do that forever, <laughs> you know, and even I'm, you know, I'm not a rocket surgeon, but even I'm smart enough to perceive that perhaps I won't live till 95 puking blood, you know, like, uh, something's got to give, but man, I couldn't believe it because the thing is, is what it did for me was beautiful, you know, it was a solution 
And I desperately needed a solution then because I had so many more problems in here besides those ones I've already told you. And I really, man, but, and it solved it, you know, and it was worth any consequences. And so when, after maybe I'm liberally guessing a thousand AA meetings over the course of about five years, I finally got sober because a guy right at the, right before my last relapse said, uh, have you ever given AA a chance? And I was like, Jesus, her, uh, man, so many chance. Are you kidding? You've seen me bouncing in and out of the, come on, man. And he's like, no, have you ever worked the 12 steps in order out of the book under the direction of a sponsor? And I'm like, uh, bye. <laughs> Deuces. And, uh, and I went and I did what I did for as long as I could string it together, which was only a couple of months. And when I came back, I made up my mind to do just that. And, you know, my God, as I understand him, he's got a real sense of humor. Um, he likes to line up things that are funny. To, to him first and to me later. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, so this mixed kid from the black home with the Mexican name and the American-made religion ends up with a good old-fashioned hillbilly sponsor <laughs> who calls me buckwheat. <laughs> That's a racial slur. Um, <laughs> but he taught these steps. And he taught him. He had like a chalkboard in his living room. Like he was really, he only had eight more months sober than me, but I didn't factor that in really. And he told me up front, he said, he said, if I tell you to do it, it ain't in the book. You tell me, use some words I'm not going to use from this podium tonight. And he said, you tell me to go myself and, and that's, and just do what it says in this book. And that's what we did. And the craziest thing happened was eventually sobriety started to do for me what alcohol did for me that day, except I didn't have to puke blood to get it. But so I went and I, and I ran after it, man. And I went from, uh, in, you know, in the words of one of my favorite philosophers, uh, a biggie, I went from ashy to classy, you know what I mean? Like, like, like my life got big, you know, art went well. I traveled, I got accolades. People said, things to me nicer than I deserve and I started believing it and I started to kind of back my pe back pedal my butt out of this program and, I, and it was really slow that blank spot is strange and it's mental <laughs> and it's blank and and the day that an alcoholic takes his first drink we have no idea why we have, may have any number of stories or excuses or problems that we're responding to or victories we're celebrating or whatever it is. But the truth is, I just don't know. And the most honest answer is I'm doing it because I'm an alcoholic. Because that's my response, you know. And so I went out. And I went out for three solid years. About two months after I turned 20 in this program. So if you got about 18 or 19 years and you think you're good... I hope you are. Does that mean I have five more minutes left? Or are you just waving? No? Does that mean I'm done? No? Okay. I don't know. I'm, how much time do I have left? About five minutes? I can roll with that. Okay. I don't want... This guy's good, right? So I don't want to eat up Jordan's time. <laughs> anyway, so, so... Well, the funny thing is, so I come back in about 80 pounds underweight, you know, I had extracurricular issues and, um, 
<laughs> and I really, and what's funny is, is like, you know, I knew this program was here and I'm sure on some level I understood that I needed it. But the problem with an alcoholic going back out is now you're on the other side of that fence. You know, now the addiction has you. You know, and when the addiction has me, all that happy horse butt stuff you guys talk about, I can't see. I can't feel it. I, I don't want it. You know, I can know synthetically that it's good for me and that I'll be happy, but it's synthetic knowledge. It is not experience at that point. And I'm locked in. Fortunately, we make the kind of friends around here. Well, honestly, if you haven't made those kind of friends around here yet, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We, I mean, I, the friends that we make here are, this is how good they are. I was out for three years. My friends kept track of me. They didn't butt in because they know that this thing is no joke. They know that I'm not just going to fall for, hey, come on back, buddy, you know. And uh, But they watched, and they watched me lose weight, and they watched me have medical problems, and they watched me, like, destroy the life around me and waited until I got low, like kind of like when you're playing a video game and you're kind of pecking at the boss monster to get his energy bars down to land, the, you know what I mean? And then they got my, my landlord at work. All the people that work for me, all the people, like, my intervention was, like, a who's who of all the different aspects of my life. And I was like, I appreciate all this concern, but I think I'm okay if I just smoke a little weed, you know? <laughs> anyway, about five days later, they got me into treatment. And at some point in treatment, I stopped climbing trees long enough to go, I think I really need this thing. You know, and what happened when I came back was this thing did for me the same thing it did for me the first time. It did it slower. <laughs> I feel like God's eye, I understand him, knew that I needed a longer lesson. You know, um, also relapsing in your mid to late 40s, I don't recommend it. But it did, but this, this stuff still did work. And when I was in pain, I was surrounded by good friends and people with time who knew to just sit there and go, you're crying and crazy. I can't understand you right now, but I love you and I'm going to sit here. We're not going to solve anything today, Damon. I'm just going to sit here, you know? And, uh, and I went through this work and I rode out that pain and I, uh, and wouldn't you know it, it all started happening again. You know, um, I came in the first time an atheist. I came in this time believing in something, but both times I was just as separated from God. I came in the first time without any friends. I came in the second time knowing people all over the world, but I was just as separated and lonely, you know, and what I, and I had to come back and I had to say the set aside prayer every day and I had to have an experience and I had to have that experience every day. You know, and uh, thankfully I didn't fall for that trap of like going to the meetings and like suddenly I'm sponsoring a bunch of dudes and I'm two months sober. I went back as a newcomer, you know, and I did like clean things for people and I did simple jobs and I drew with my markers and rocked back and forth in meetings. And I went through what I had to go through to have this experience again. And what happened and now I can honestly tell you at about seven and a half years sober that. I haven't blown up on anybody in four years. I didn't get to tell enough of my story for you to really understand how strange, how weird, how unpredictable that news is, you know? But that is really, for anybody who knows me, that is shocking. Borderline impossible. 
Some might call it divine. But the truth is, is I've learned things that I needed to be broken down and humbled in a way that I wasn't going to do willingly. And I really do feel like I went through what I went through to get to where I am. And when I heard that promise early on this time around that my best years were ahead of me, I would just cry because I'm like, they're not. They're not ahead of me. I had them. That 20 years was amazing. And I can tell you now that really it is true. I am... <laughs> I am... <laughs> I'm crying. I'm not... I'm not going to do that. But I... I uh... <laughs> Look, man. Hey, fall in love with this program. You know... Be a dork for it, you know? If you're an alcoholic, as seriously as I'm an alcoholic, you know, like what, you know, this is the most interesting. I'm a tattoo artist, and I travel with them, too, and they're wild, and they're interesting, and you guys are better. <laughs> Crazier, funnier, wittier, more unpredictable, you know? like and But, I mean, but genuinely wholesomely like encouraging spiritually uplifting i love it i love it i love aa i love that uh, a guy like me gets a second chance to have this beautiful life because i threw it away like it was nothing but when your mind goes blank and you're an alcoholic that's what we do you know and uh and to be able to go through this and uh, and and have that again, and to know to have to know that I can sit through that kind of pain and make it—that's beautiful. I know I talk way more than ten. I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. I'm Jordan. I'm alcoholic. It's more like a roast. <laughs> Damon, you had like five more minutes. <laughs> and this is open to a random page. I'm probably not going to read anything from it. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, thank the committee. No swearing. That's what. That's what's going through my head. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> Before I forget. Yeah, definitely a huge shout out to the, to the committee. These things um, take a lot of time, take a lot of energy and sacrifice, and um, to to put together. And so, um, yeah, huge shout out to them, and especially my my friend Janet, who kind of spearheaded this whole whole thing as the chair. Um, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to be a part of, and it's also uh, refreshing when it's over uh, we're not quite there yet <laughs> um, <laughs> and then yeah when man when Janet was like who do you want to be your 10 minute speaker I'm like man I don't know like whoever you, you pick uh, doesn't matter to me and she chose Damon and I was the last couple of days was just kind of thinking about Damon and, and our relationship and we had a we shared a home group for a while which is really fun Jana was there too and um, we yeah that was that was a fun group and we had a lot of fun and uh, also I Damon tattooed me 
and I have this tattoo on my arm, and I showed up to Damon with this quote from uh, a Sufi poet named Rumi, and uh, the quote goes, uh, set fire to your life and, and seek those who fan the flames. And I just gave him that, and I said, make this into a picture, and then tattoo it on me. And, um, and so I have that on my arm. And... Um, It's, I was thinking about that being here because that, like, this is kind of my tribe and this is, this is, uh, this is where I get that. This is where, this is my people. This is where, uh, you know, the people that fan the flames. And so, uh, that's, that's what I thought of. Um, and Scott, even though he didn't. I was going to drive to the airport just so he, like, had something to do. <laughs> but it's, it's really far and out of my way, and I have, like, a lot to do this morning. <laughs> but he brought me a little uh, nerd gadget that I won't get into. Um, so, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, my sobriety date's January 11th, 2010. Um, I, I have a sponsor, uh, his name's Nick and we meet, uh, every Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Um, I am actively sponsored and in the 12 years I've been sober, that's not always been the case, right? There's been times where, uh, I've had a sponsor by name and, uh, he's just kind of been there and I've. I've kind of operated uh, that I've had a sponsor under the guise of being of service a lot and sponsoring a lot of guys or whatever, but it's kind of all going outward, right? And there's and there's nothing coming in and there's no checks and balances. And so, um, you know, the last five years or whatever, that active uh, sponsorship has been a huge, uh, huge uh, piece of my life and my recovery. And we, we meet at uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, on Tuesday night and we, you know, the book talks about that this is a design for living. And so when we get on the phone, that's what we talk about. We talk about life, right? And we talk about my life and we talk about, uh, my boss, which some of you heard about at dinner. Um, <laughs> his name's Dave. Uh, <laughs> and Nick hears about him often as well. Um, but we talk about my life. We talk about how the principles of AA apply. We talk about um, where I'm applying them and where I'm not. And, um, yeah, I have a home group. It's called Out of Order. It's on Wednesday night. Um, it's great. I love it. If you're ever in town, come, come see us. Um, I have uh, a, a informal service position there with Kayla. It's the, my most favorite position in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's being a member of the setup crew. <laughs> and that's my favorite position because I have to talk to very few people. And um, <laughs> it's great. And I uh, have the you know honor and privilege of uh, sitting down with some guys and, and reading, the, reading this book. And um, that right there, for the most part, is is a really simple recipe that was basically given to me on day one when I got here. Um, and 
are things that I'm still active in today. And, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful to be in, in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's truly an honor and a privilege to get to do uh, anything for, for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it's funny, I haven't done like a talk like this in a long time. And it's really funny leading up to it and uh, observing the seduction of my mind of and the ego that's attached to it and, uh, you know, of what I'm going to say or thinking I'm unique or special or whatever. And uh, what I know is that that it's just my turn and I'm just drunk. Right. And I promise you it's going to be someone else's turn on Saturday and Saturday night. And, um, my friend in Arizona, Eric says, man, this is like the sacred insane asylum. And (laughs) it's just one patient addressing the asylum. Right. (laughs) That's true. Like what Damon was saying, it's like, you all look nice and you're like, Hey, and like, we know that it's not like, and that's totally my, like when you're new, like I remember being new and I, I was part of this men's, uh, men's stag meeting and these guys would get up to the podium and like, would just like quote the book and like look like they had it together. And the longer I stayed sober and you get to know them and I'm just like, they don't, they do not have it together. (laughs) And, um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to know, uh, uh, I'm really grateful to know uh, why I'm here and that I belong here. Because I came in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous not knowing those things, right? Um, I didn't know what it meant to be alcoholic. And, um, and I came in and out and uh, no fault Alcoholics Anonymous or the people in it. I just, for whatever reason, was just not ready to receive it. Um, and um, I'm grateful to know those two things uh, for certain today. Um, we got a lot of time left. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> um, so, I grew up in Woodmill. I, uh, my earliest memories are ones of separation, of not belonging, of, uh, feeling different from, and for a kind of a bizarre reason. Um, but one of my earliest memories was, I remember, uh, getting on the bus as a kid and the bus would go through all these, uh, neighborhoods and these kids would get picked up and they're in cul-de-sacs and these neighborhoods that had names or whatever and I would get dropped off and picked up and I was on a gravel road right and that was the thing that separated me and I don't know why but that is that's the thing that's the the thing that has stuck with me and that's the thing that 
um, kept me separate from. And, um, and that's what I remember, you know, as, as I reflect back now and, um, and that feeling, right. And carrying that feeling paved the way and set the stage for drugs and alcohol to work so well. And, um, and, you know, I truly believe that I've been a power seeker for as long as I can remember, right? Uh, seeking power to fix that feeling, right? And I got good grades and I did good at sports and I had friends and like my family was together and all of that did not alleviate that feeling. And, um, and I sought out all of those things to try to fix that. Right. If I just add more, do better or get a better grade or win another championship or whatever. And, um, and it never worked. And when I was in, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade, my first drink, drink, uh, came disguised as marijuana. And I, uh, I smoked pot out of an apple in my backyard and, um, it was the coolest thing I'd ever done up to that point. And, uh, I ate a bunch of M&M Rice Krispie treats and, uh, watch half baked. And that was awesome. And I couldn't wait to do it again. And, uh, about a week later I drank for the first time and same effect. And I couldn't wait to do it again. And, and even from those first times of getting loaded, I, I, I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate it then, but there was something deep down that knew that from that point on, like me existing in this life was going to be defined by the use of a substance, right? Because it was the only thing that had sufficiently worked to make me feel comfortable in my skin with you kind of existing and going about this life. And, um, and so alcoholism did what it does and, and it progressed. And, uh, after high school, I, uh, I land myself in a detox for the first time and, about three days in, I'm physically feeling better. I have no understanding of, of this, of I don't know what you all are doing here. Um, and, you know, they, they released me after five days or so. And I remember sitting with the, the counselor or, or whoever they were at the detox. And, and they were like, I, I strongly recommend that you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get a sponsor and a home group and like all that stuff, all that stuff I mentioned at the beginning. And I had no clue what she was talking about. I like played a lot of sports. So when she said sponsorship, I thought I was going to get like a bag or something <laughs> and like stuff like a Jersey. I don't know. I was like, am I getting stuff? And, um, <laughs> And I got out of there and I didn't do any of that. And I continued to get loaded and, and I landed myself, you know, uh, in the first inpatient facility over in Spokane, Washington. And it was, uh, it was, uh, what did they call it? Behavior modification. 
apparently my behavior needed modifying. <laughs> and um, it, uh, everyone in there was trying to get a prison sentence reduced. And I was, uh, I was a young kid. And they, there was, yeah, we had like two hour breaks. There's alarms on all the doors. I don't know what's going on, really. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. And, um, but they did have, they had an AA meeting, an NA meeting, and something called, uh, smart recovery, maybe, or something like that. So I first, uh, you had to go to, but they were all run by the people in there. And so I, I first tried the AA and, um, I don't really like that. And so I go to NA don't vibe with that either. And so I hear about smart recovery. They have it in like the back hallway and there's almost a fight that breaks out every time. So I'm like, that sounds cool. And so I just go hang out <laughs> back there and, uh, and kind of do that for 90 days. And then what I learned in there was, you know, I learned how to like make sculptures out of Jolly Ranchers and how to clean my shoes with toothpaste and do some other cool stuff that they do in prison apparently and um and again like upon leaving there my my counselor she's like i don't think you're ready to leave i think you should stay longer but if you're gonna leave i think you should go to alcoholics anonymous and get a sponsor and and do all that stuff and um and i didn't do that um and you know, I, I, again, I have this experience that the book talks about that's comparable to finding myself pounding on the bar going, how did this happen again? Right. I have plans. I make lists. I'm like, if I just have X, Y, and Z, right. I create the formula that like, man, if I could just line things up in such a way, I wouldn't do this. My behavior would be modified. Right. And and it never worked. And so, uh, you know, it continues to progress and, uh, you know, I, I've kind of been doing the dance for a bit and, and finally I'm like, I know, I know what the problem is and it's Seattle and everyone in it. <laughs> I just have to get out of here. And, uh, so I'm like on my, you know, parents' couch detoxing again and, you know, watching daytime soap operas or whatever and watching the OC or something. I'm like, California, that looks, I could go there. And uh, so they <laughs> ship me down to California and I go to a treatment center there and it is based in the 12 steps. And they're taking us to two meetings a day and they're doing big book groups and and stuff like that. So this is uh, kind of my first exposure to, to what's going on here. And and, uh, and I do, I get a sponsor, but I'm, I'm just, no, I'm not, I'm not in. I, I kind of sit in the back. I, I leave the meetings. I, I uh, you know, I write kind of a, a half. Um, I don't have a replacement word, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and, and I read it to them, and, and nothing comes of it. And I, I just continue to get loaded, and I, I get loaded. I get kicked out of that rehab. Lucky for me, there's a, a sober living directly across the street, 
So I just pack my stuff and walk over there and say, I need to move in. I have one day sober. Uh, and then I continue to get loaded and take out everyone who lives in the houses with me. So they just move me from house to house to house. Um, and can't stay sober. And so my brother-in-law at the time calls me. I've never met him because when him and my sister were dating and getting married and doing that stuff, I was pretty busy. And um, <laughs> so I've never met him, but I know he's sober. And he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm going to be in Southern California for some business. You want to grab lunch? And, uh, you know, I was sober at this time, just like smoking weed and taking muscle relaxers and <laughs> sleeping pills. And, and this was like as sober as I was going to get. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, we can, we can go to lunch. And we go to lunch and uh, he's just like, hey, if I buy you a plane ticket right now, will you... Uh, come to Arizona and I'll drop you off at the halfway house where I got sober and for whatever reason uh, you know we'll call it divine intervention I said okay and uh, and so a couple hours later I'm on a plane fly to the desert drops me, drops me off at a halfway house uh, they say you know do you need to detox are you sick I said no I'm fine they send me to detox anyway. It's a, uh, it's in a not great part of town um, where the there's just kind of like this circle of, of beds with like like paper on it, and the the nurses are kind of caged in in the middle. And all, because people are are violent and they're a little bit crazy. They they have. You can choose between a cheese sandwich, just a piece of cheese on bread, <laughs> or peanut butter, and they'll just like throw them out every once in a while. And it's like <laughs> people are like snoring and like yelling, and it's like crazy. And I'm just hating my life in Arizona. And uh, I go back. I'm sitting in the front office uh, across from this guy uh, in what they like to refer to as the liar's chair. And uh, <laughs> we're sitting there. He's asking me all these questions. And uh, he's uh, he hands me the, the meeting card. And he's like, if you want to live here, you've got to go to a meeting every single day. They're going to pass a basket. You're going to put this meeting card in that basket. It's your ticket to live here. Say, okay. He flips it over. He's like, this is where your sponsor that you're going to get signs the card and says what step you're on. And you're going to work the steps at the rate of a step a week where you're going to be doing extra chores. I'm just like nodding my head like, okay. It's like you're going to find a, a, a meeting that you like. It's going to become your home group. There's a little line for that too. You're going to get a service position. You're going to bring your big book to every meeting you go to. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> um, I said we have two house meetings every week. We're going to look at 
cards at those meetings. If yours is not filled out or incomplete, we will pack your stuff for you in garbage bags and we'll throw it on the street and you'll have 15 minutes to get off the property before we call the cops. I'm like, okay. Sounds good. (laughs) And then, oh yeah, and then he hands me a list of rules and there was a I want to say like 68 rules on the list. And the last one was any rule can be added or changed at any time. It's like infinite number of rules. Why have the list? Um, But yeah, I just remember sitting there like thinking to myself, oh, and the kicker is they want a four and a half month commitment. Like, hey, I want you to stay here four and a half months. And I'm just like, like, nodding my head, saying okay, thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to stay sober four and a half months or do any of that other stuff you mentioned. Like, my experience shows that not only is that unlikely, it's an impossibility. And I just nodded my head and was like, okay. And, uh, so I go to bed, uh, I went to lay in the bed that they assigned me. No sleeping was involved, but I went and laid in the bunk that they assigned me with three other, uh, dudes in the room. And, um, the same guy from the front office wakes me up the next morning at like five thirty, and he's like, Hey, you're doing dishes. And so this, this halfway house that I was at, they, uh, there was all these rooms and then they have a big meeting hall and a courtyard. So people from the outside come to the, come to meetings there and they have meetings going on all day. And then they also have a a cafeteria where people can eat and, and all this kind of stuff. And so they, uh, you know, the new guys that come in, they throw them on doing dishes and he's like, Hey, you're doing dishes for breakfast and lunch. And I look at this guy like, we're going to fight, you know, (laughs) Uh, like I'm pissed and I'm not having a good time. And, uh, and he just smiles at me and he's like, a lot of dudes have found God in the bottom of that sink. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, what did you say? And, uh, so I go back doing dishes and, uh, looking in the drain. (laughs) And nothing spectacular. Uh, but what, what, what does happen is, uh, I turn around one day and there's uh, some dude standing there and hands me a book, uh, H&I book, little red book. Hey, I heard you need a sponsor. And uh, I said, sure, you know, need that to live here. It's really, really hot in Arizona. Uh, and so I don't want to be homeless here. So we'll do that. And, uh, 
me and that dude just started going through uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or my little red book in the courtyard of that halfway house. And uh, come to find out that dude had, I think he had less than six months sober. And he lived in a three-quarter house down the street. <laughs> don't even know what that is. <laughs> Apparently, it's between a halfway house and a full-way house. <laughs> That's, it's only math that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, like, his life was not tight. Like, he had no car, no job, and he lived in a three-quarter house. And he would, like, ride the bus or walk to my crappy halfway house, and we would read the book together. And he was, like, overly excited about doing that. And it was really sketch. <laughs> And we did it, and it was like, it was a fast thing. Like the the lineage or wherever I landed, it was they they do it fast. And um, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Uh, I don't know. It, it worked. That's the way. That's the way we did it. And um, I don't remember a whole lot of of what we did. Uh, I remember. At some point around my fifth step, he moved to Scottsdale, and so I had to take the bus three hours to do my fifth step. And I did that, and I read it to him, and I don't remember anything he said. Um, he had six months sober, so it probably wasn't anything, you know, <laughs> whatever. Glad I don't remember. And then he played a song uh called Bowl of Oranges by Bright Eyes. He was like, this is the fifth step song. I was like, dope. <laughs> it comes with a soundtrack. This is tight. And, uh, went back and, yeah, I don't, like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I really don't recollect anything yeah, we went through the steps really fast, and, and he was just like, man, if you don't want to live in this halfway house again uh, in six months from now, then I strongly suggest that you get out there and carry the message. And uh, so that's what I started doing. And uh, we there was a, a meeting that, that that dude in the front office, who I hated when I got there, he would take this meeting into a, a detox and psych ward and he started taking some of us there. And so I got into uh, H&I really early on and um, we would tell our stories like very little time sober, no clue what we're doing. And But all we hear in these meetings is like, man, you need to carry the message or you're going to die. And we're like, okay. So we're just handing our numbers out like crazy. And I get I get home from work one day. And, and the cool thing about this halfway house where I live, there was a group of four other uh, young dudes in my age range. And we kind of all got raised up together. We like did this deal together. Uh, 
four of them, four of them are still sober. Um, but we all started doing this deal together and I get home from work one day and we've been handing our number out like crazy. We've been doing this H and I thing and we're just like, man, we gotta, we gotta carry this message or we're screwed. And, uh, I get home and it's late. We have a curfew. I don't remember what it was, but my buddy's like, dude, someone actually called me. (laughs) And we're like, he's like, do you want to do like a 12 step call? And, uh, it's almost curfew. Like we're going to be doing extra chores. And, uh, if we're late and the chores there are not fun. Like I got in trouble quite a bit and they were not fun. They were like scrubbing the guardrail with a toothbrush for like hours on your day off. Like meaningless chores just for torture, I guess. Um, but I'm like, yeah, like I think we're supposed to be doing this. Like I think we need to do this. And so we're like charging out to the parking lot to do this 12 step call and then like realize neither of us have a car. Because <laughs> we're like <laughs> two months sober, you know, or whatever it was. And so he was like dating some girl at the time. I call her like, hey, you want to drive us <laughs> to this 12 step call? And uh, so we get in the car and we're like going to this, you know, to, to you know, meet this guy or, or whatever and he's wasted and he keeps calling and uh my buddy's on the phone with him and we're almost there and then he slits his wrist and we get close and we just hear like music blasting and we're like well there it is and uh pull up and he's he's fine like he's not fine he's wasted but he's you know very drunk and his door's wide open and the cops are on their way. And I had like two seconds to be like, Hey, you don't have to live this way anymore. And then like take a step back before I got like swung on or something. And then the cops showed up. Um, but that was like my first, that was my first 12 step call and my first kind of exposure to the the trenches and, and what we do here. And it was, it was all the things it was exciting and scary. And it was like, man, I want to, I want to do that again. I want to, uh, it was the thing that kind of got me fired up about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and from that, you know, uh, and I just started doing this thing. I, I, the whole time I lived in Arizona, I held an H and I commitment. I kept doing that. I lived there three years. Me and the dude that I did that 12-step call with, we got, we moved out of the halfway house together like three minutes away. And we would get off work and we would go there. And we'd sit in the front office and be like, hey, is there any new intakes today? And we'd go swoop them up. And, um, and then when dudes got kicked out for getting loaded... They would be allowed back in after three days. And so our couch became kind of the interim. Uh, I don't know what fraction you want to put on that, but, (laughs) you know, that was it. And we, like, slowly learned to, like, put rules on that. We're, like, because our couch started to stink and, like, you know, all that. It's like, hey, you got a shower. When we leave, you leave. Like, no dope in the house. Like, all that kind of stuff. And, um 
And then one day my buddy was like, hey, we should move somewhere. Like, we're young and we're sober. Like, we could do anything. Like, all right. And maybe he was joking, but as I would kind of sit in, in meditation every morning, I would kind of get this message that was like, go to Seattle. And I was like, dumb. <laughs> get up and go to work. <laughs> you know? Every day, you know, every day, consistently, like very clear. And um, every day it was like arguing with, with, arguing with that message. That can't be. So, three years sober, uh, moved up here, and uh, with like zero plan, just following intuition. Um, kind of all my everyone was just kind of like, yeah, God's probably in Seattle too. And I'm just like, you haven't lived there. (laughs) uh, They're like, I know when, like, when I don't follow intuition, it doesn't turn out well. That's all I'll say. So come up here and I, I still, I've been up here like nine years and I still don't know why. Um, I come up here and it's like being new again. And, um, I don't like in Arizona, I had a, a foundation. It was really easy to be of service and get sponsees and do all that. It took, uh, minimal effort. It's really nice. Um, and then I come up here and it's like back to square one. I'm like, Hey, I just moved here. And, um, and, uh, you know, the whole like Seattle freeze thing is real, you know, it's like really hard to get, uh, integrated again. And, uh, I did that, I, you know, kind of said, Hey, I, I just moved back here. And, um, there's two guys, uh, maybe a month or so after I'd moved back and two guys kind of cornered me and they're like, here's our numbers. Call us. We'll show you where to go to get sponsees and help you get, and they're like, come to Indianola, come to Fox, like do this. And, you know, and, uh, and one of the dudes I remember, cause I was not, I was going to keep my sponsor in Arizona. I was like, I'm not getting a new sponsor they don't really know like how to do AA in Seattle. So I'm just like, I'm going to go to meetings and like keep, keep my sponsor in Arizona and I'll like kind of be a part of what's going on up here. And, uh, and then I'm sitting in a meeting and this dude shares and, uh, I have this thought like, Oh, well maybe if I, next time I write inventory, like I'll share it with that dude. And I call a friend of mine he's like, there's intuition. That's your sponsor. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. And uh, that dude, that guy's been my sponsor uh, ever since. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and him and I started going through the steps again. And, and that was, uh, 
we started meeting up, and I, I will, if at all possible, rely on my intellect. And so we're meeting up weekly and getting coffee and talking and, and doing all this. And, and, uh, and I was like, are we going to go through the steps? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And so I show up the next week and I bring my book. I'm ready, ready to go. And uh, he's like, what's that for? And I was like, we're going through the steps. What do you mean? They're in here. And uh, he's like, we've already started. I'm like, and so it was this weird thing, but he was like vetting me or something. But it was like, he knew that he's like, man, you know, what's in there. You can quote it. You can, you know. And we, so we did this exercise of just like where he really pushed me and challenged me to not rely on what I already knew. And man, that was a struggle. Um, and, but it pushed me and it challenged me. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, three years later of me living in Seattle, um, And looking back, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if I would have, it's like, I know that this is what I needed to kind of continue to grow and to, um, to kind of get to the next, uh, to continue to evolve in this program. This is exactly what I needed. And, uh, at seven years sober, I'm. training to take over my dad's company doing landscape construction. We're doing a, a big job in Maui where we lived there for three months at a time. And I absolutely hate it. And I hate Maui and I'll probably never go back. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're doing a job there and I'm still like meeting with my sponsor and like doing all that. And, uh, we're talking about the third step and he says, have you, uh, have you fully done the third step? And I'm like, Nick, uh, what do you mean? Yeah, sure. Like I do all this stuff. I've been sober seven years. I sponsor dudes. I give them the whole resume checklist boxes and all that. He's like, I, I didn't ask that. I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> He's like, let me phrase it differently. He said, if, if, if you'd really given your life to God, would it look any different? And I was like, instantly knew that it would. So that kind of threw a wrench in, uh, my plans, but I, I went to my dad and was like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to take this over. I'm out. And I'm going to go back to school full time. And, uh, again, no plan. And before we went to Maui, I moved out of the place I was living. And, uh, and so, I get back, 
I'm seven years sober, starting back at community college, living on Janet's couch. And uh, that's it. Going only off the intuition that I know I need to be in school. And I was just like, man, I really like nature. I've always been good at math. I'm the only one I know that likes math. Like, that's got to be something. I don't know. Like, I'm literally the only person that I know who likes math. Like, maybe I should utilize that in some way. And so I'm like, I think engineers do math. I'll do engineering. And so, um, and then everyone's like, well, what kind? I'm like, I don't know. I'll pick the most universal kind, mechanical, ship it. And so, (laughs) (laughs) I go back to school. I'm in community college, and I, I, like, I really enjoy this thing that I like to call uh, fear-based research. (laughs) I'm pretty good at it. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, just like scrolling, like looking at jobs and stuff. And so I'm like, I don't even know if I've started my first quarter in community college. And I'm like, I wonder what job I should get five years from now. (laughs) And uh, I was was serving on a... uh, the CA World Convention was in Seattle a few years back, and I served on the World uh, Committee, and I was there uh, talking to a friend. He was an astrophysics major, and I was like, what kind of, what kind of job am I going to get, man? Like, what do you think? And he was like, the job that you're going to get hasn't even been created yet. And I'm like, oh, that's like a cool like evolution of technology thing, but I'll go back to LinkedIn. Thanks. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, four years later, I'm like, you know, uh, getting ready to graduate. And uh, my friend Patrick, who runs this nonprofit, uh, is like, hey, my, my boss, like the founder of this nonprofit, she has this other company um, and they're looking for an engineer. And uh, they're, you know, they're doing something cool that's, like, up your alley. Like, the, the like, mission aligned with, like, what you would want to do. And um, I'm like, cool. So he sets up this meeting, and I meet them, and it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's up my alley. And they give me a job offer uh, two weeks before I graduate. And I start, like, two weeks after I graduate. And uh, it's funny, I look back on the time when I'm talking with my uh, astrophysics buddy uh, because, well, the guy who interviewed me, the the director of engineering there, he's like, I'm going to offer you the job. I just have to write the job description. (laughs) And I thought back to our conversation of like, oh, the job hasn't been created yet. That's funny. Like, uh uh-huh. And... uh, (laughs) And so I get this job and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's right up my, my alley and, and, and I don't know, it's, uh, my, uh, my life is just another planet from where where uh where it was 
when I uh, sat down, my first sponsor's name was Converse, right? He was like four months sober, right? And when we sat down in that halfway house and he, we read the bedevilments and uh, he was like, can you relate? And I'm like, yeah, that's, you articulated how I feel in this moment. Thank you. Um, and he was like, we did this exercise where we put those things in reverse. Like, what if you could have a life that like had meaningful relationships uh, where you were happy, where you could, uh, you know, walk through fear? where, uh, you know, all that stuff. What If you could have... If you could have a life like that, what would you do to get it? And it was like... I, like, knew the AA lingo, so it's like, I'll do anything. Um, but really, it was just like... Really, it's just like, I'll do what the halfway house asks. I'll do what what you asked and yeah my life is like totally transformed and uh, I uh, the first two years I uh, did nothing with meditation it was not something that was taught to me it was just a word in the steps and uh and now, uh, when I was a couple years sober, I worked with this woman, Samantha, and she, uh, she started teaching me how to meditate and she started, uh, challenging my beliefs and she, um, started taking me to different places and kind of opening the door of spirituality, uh, and, and right. Because I was so rigid and I didn't know that there was anything beyond this and she would take me to sweat and we would go to monasteries and we would meditate and she would give me books and I would read books and we did Loving What Is by Byron Katie and we would do all these different things and uh, it just kind of opened those doors and um, Man, that, that was really a game changer for me because when I sit still and close my eyes, what happens is I go to war with myself. And um, it happened this morning. I was sitting in my chair still. I close my eyes and my mind is just like, I was like, man, is gravity a force or an acceleration? I can't remember. Like, if it's a force, it has to have mass. But, like, they would have to measure that in some way. Like, have they, have they measured a graviton yet? Like, I don't know. And it was like, it just, like, went off. And I'm like, oh, we're breathing. We're in the chair. We're in, I can hear the cats wrestling upstairs. Right? And, um, yeah, I, uh, I work for this company that manufactures uh, shelters for displaced populations, and um, uh, you know it's it's funny to get intuition to go back to school and end up here. Um, and.
my uh, my girlfriend became my fiance and will be my wife next month. That's uh, it's really. I heard someone say like. This is the best definition of recovery I've heard, which is the extraction of something valuable out of that which appears to have no value. And I don't know who said it, so I can't give them props, but I love that, right? Because when I got here, I thought I had uh, no value and nothing to offer. And uh, just by doing a few simple things, by following a few simple spiritual disciplines, right, my life has been transformed, right? And, right, uh, I, I was, you know, in the last couple of years, I was renting to paying a mortgage, right? I, we're both dog people, and somehow we have two cats, right? Like, <laughs> like, like we have this, I have this life that um, is, you know, when I got sober and Converse was like, what, is, what do you want your life to look like? It was like, I don't know, I'd like to, like, sleep indoors most nights <laughs> you know like that would be tight like if I could just sleep indoors most nights and um, and uh, yeah I don't know I uh, think it was a couple years ago at Thoughts I uh, I've been sitting on two amends for a long time, years, and they were very stupid amends. They were to Safeway and Domino's <laughs> in the same complex <laughs> in Woodenville from like inventory one. And uh, I, yeah, it was Domino's. I worked there. And I stopped showing up and Safeway, you know, I would steal foil from there to engage in outside issues. And, um, <laughs> and I just, I couldn't make them. I don't know what. And I was here and I was like, got intuition. I'm going to talk to this guy, Kenny. Uh, maybe he can help me complete these amends. And I sit down with him and I'm like, man, I got these two amends. No matter what I do, I can't make them. I, I pray. Like, I, I don't know, man, like, like years and, uh, can't make them. And, uh, and so I talk with him and he's like, after this conference, put in your phone and call these two places Set another reminder, you're going to call Kenny and tell him that you did it. Like, okay. And uh, really the only reason I made those phone calls is because I didn't want to look bad in front of Kenny. And um, that's okay, right? It's like the, the seven-step prayer says, take all of me, right? I don't know what I need. In that moment, I needed the ego, apparently, to make those amends. And so I... I made the calls and I made the amends and nothing incredible happened, but I made the amends and completed, uh, the ninth step. Right. And, um, it took about 10 years 
and um, and every year coming here, that's all I heard. You can complete step nine. I go to Indianola, and they're like, most important thing in steps eight and nine is all. You can make all your amends, all of them. I'm just like, step two. (laughs) 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 And I don't know. uh, I don't know who said this, but I love it. The, uh, the everything that I thought I lost turned out to be nothing. And the nothing that I showed up here with turned out to be everything. And right. Like I showed up here with a suitcase and it had some clothes with, uh, some clothes that I'd acquired from previous treatment centers that I'd stolen. I still have Lonnie's swim shorts. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where Lonnie is. Uh, but, and my my sister and my brother-in-law, like, got me the three-in-one uh, shampoo, conditioner, body wash. <laughs> they were just like... You don't deserve (laughs) separate. (laughs) Thanks. You get three in one. And, uh, right. I got this book and I worked the steps and my, my life has been transformed and, and I've continued to do that. Um, that has, has, you know, I have consistently done that. And, um, I, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to wrap up. Uh, and uh, it's in a vision for you. And it says, uh, many a man yet days from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. He succumbed to that gay crowd inside and laughed at their own misfortunes and understood his impressed by those who visited him at the hospital. He capitulated entirely when later in an upper room of this house, he heard the story of some man whose experience closely tallied with his own. The expression on the faces of the women, the, that indefinable something in the eyes of the men, the stimulating and electric atmosphere of the place conspired to let him know that he was haven at last. The very practical approach to his problems, the absence of intolerance of any kind, the informality, the genuine democracy, the uncanny understanding which this, these people had were irresistible. He and his wife would leave elated by the thought of what they could now do for some stricken acquaintance and his family. They knew they had a host of new friends. It seemed they had known these strangers always. They had seen miracles and one was to come to them. They had visioned the great reality, their loving and all-powerful creator. The life among Alcoholics Anonymous is more than attending gatherings and visiting hospitals, cleaning up old scrapes, helping to settle family differences, explaining the disinherited son to his irate parents, lending money, and securing jobs for each other when justified. These are everyday occurrences. No one is too discredited or sunk too low to be welcomed cordially if he means business. Social distinctions, petty rivalries, and jealousies, these are laughed out of countenance. 
being wrecked in the same vessel, being restored and united under one God with hearts and minds attuned to the welfare of others, the things which matter so much to some people no longer signify much to them. How could they? Under only slightly different conditions, the same thing is taking place in many eastern cities. It's happening tonight all over. It's happening tonight in Warm Beach. And uh, I'm truly grateful that it was given to me uh, by you people. So thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.